Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to Canadian Gothic, a series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners. This episode is going to take us back to the early 90s into a small town in Saskatchewan. Martinsville, Saskatchewan promised its nearly 3,000 residents a quiet and affordable place to raise a family. And that offer may have been true, but for a time, in the early 90s, Martinsville became one of the last places you'd want you or your children associated with. What starts off with allegations of a sexual assault against a child slowly transforms into a belief a satanic cult made up of pedophiles had infiltrated the local police force and were using a local daycare as a hunting ground for their demonic lust for children. If you're unfamiliar with this story, buckle up. Tonight, in this episode, Madeleine Klein and I are going to discuss Martinville, Saskatchewan's satanic sex scandal. Good evening. People in Martinsville, Saskatchewan came together today hoping to find some reassurance, some comfort, or some kind of explanation. They listened to the mayor and the police chief talk about a distressing case. Local police officers and the operators of a daycare center were charged yesterday, accused of the physical and sexual abuse of as many as 30 small children. 170 charges in all. Ms. Madeleine Klein, you're looking vibrant and youthful. You got a certain glow. Could it be that you're- Thank you. You're 14 months pregnant? That's right. It, uh, it, it kind of feels like it. I'm getting to that point. Mm. Um, but I appreciate that because I'm 35 weeks now. In terms of months, you're like eight? I'm eight, eight months. Yeah. Okay. So I'll be, I'll be nine months in like a week. Okay. They say it's more like 10 months. Your oh, pregnancy. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, in terms of the timeline of your pregnancy, let's just, just to put it out there to keep this exciting for people listening, you're at the point of your pregnancy where at any time things could start happening fast, including during a recording session of the nighttime podcast. Like right now, you never there has, know. There has never been a baby born on this show yet. And that's why I'm like trying to schedule as much stuff as possible with you. I'm just trying to get the, put the odds in my favor. I won't lie. That's ever since I got pregnant, I'm like, what if my water breaks while we're streaming? Like, do I say something? Do I text you? Do you I just, just keep the camera running? <laughs> just keep it going. <laughs> Uh, let's hope that never happens for real. Right. Well, let's get into our story, which is altogether different than discussing the upcoming client that's joining us. Um, are you anywhere near, like you're in Regina, Saskatchewan. Is that anywhere near Martinsville? Have you ever heard of this place? Have you ever visited this place out of the context of the story that we're going to be talking about? I know of it. Um, it's it's only about 10 minutes outside of Saskatoon. Mm -hmm. And I had I had a friend move there years ago, just briefly. And I think that's actually the first time I'd heard of it. It's just like a little suburb, if you will. Mm -hmm. Bedroom community, which is such a weird, weird uh, label. But you, I hear that a lot. I don't even get it. But I guess but I kind of understand what what one would be. But Martinsville, Saskatchewan is, yeah, about 10 minutes outside of Saskatoon, as you said. Uh, at the time of the story we're going to be discussing, which is in the in the early 90s, the population was just between three and 4,000 people. So 
very tiny little place, the kind of place I assume that there's it's probably vague as far as where Martinsville begins and where it ends, you know, when you're talking right. about that kind of population. Um, the story that we're going to be discussing, again, which takes place in Martinsville, Saskatchewan, is one of Canada's um, best examples of an incident of satanic panic. The story is almost on the, as you read through it, it's almost too strange to believe that something like this happened in Canada, let alone happened in the early 90s. This sounds like something from Salem, Massachusetts, you know, that, that kind of Salem witch trials, except again, in the 90s here in Canada, this whole thing had happened. You would have, I guess, just been born when people in Martinsville, Saskatchewan believed that a satanic cult within the police and beyond was um, raping and molesting children. Uh, did you did you know about this before it became, I guess, I think most people probably have heard about this recently as a result of CBC taking interest in the case. But did you know about this before? No, I just learned about it through like TikTok a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. And I would have just been born when the trials started in 93. So like mm -hmm. I wasn't even around in 91 when the whole investigation happened. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's very odd. I asked my dad if he remembered it and he said yes. But like you said, it's like when I think of satanic panic, I think of like the West Memphis Three. Mm, and mm. not not martinsville saskatchewan yeah you think of like the southern u.s is where yeah the bible uh, belt and... yeah the but you would most associate this idea of secret satanic cults uh within society preying on children um but no this was as we get through the story it happened in canada in a big way and the details of this case are just shocking Let's jump right into it and start at the very beginning of the actual Martinsville satanic panic uh, beginning. Because it, it starts, uh, I guess I wouldn't say normally enough, but it starts in a way many cases of child sexual abuse become discovered. Uh, do you want to tell the story about what led to one family in particular suspecting that their child had been, I guess, touched inappropriately? Yeah. And like it kind of it started before it started, if mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And we'll get more into it. But in like late September of 1991, uh, a woman was and I believe she was a nurse. She was bathing her two and a half year old daughter and she noticed some like irritation around her like bum. And mm -hmm. it like it looked a little bit different than diaper rash. Mm -hmm. She was like, this is this is odd. So she started, you know, delicately questioning how do how do you ask a two and a half year old something like that? What's going on with your, you know, these marks on you or whatever? And it's like, right. as, as someone who's raised at this point two two and a half year olds uh, for a period of time, things like di like diaper rash and stuff like that's not uncommon. Like it happens a lot, but I could you kind of know what to expect. I, I could see how something could stand out as, as different. In this case, it's a nurse. So you would think she would have even uh, a better understanding of what's normal to be on a two and a half year old skin, let alone, you know, near their, their private parts. So right. as you describe when she, when she's like, huh, this is odd. And I, I believe this starts on a Friday. She starts asking her two and a half year old daughter throughout the weekend questions like, 
you know, is anything, anything weird happened? Did you hurt yourself? Like, is, you know, what, you know, what could be going on in at first, it seems like it started with like, no, nothing. Like it's, I don't know what's going on or I don't know why that would be there, I guess, but, but in a two and a half year old's voice. Um, but by the end of the weekend, the two and a half year old revealed to her mother that a stranger at her daycare had been poking her with a pink rope. That is the explanation that she gave her mom. And uh, if I heard a two and a half year old say that to me, I would, uh, I think I'd be pretty much immediately on the phone with police or going towards daycare. Well, absolutely. And like, t I don't yet have a toddler, but mm -hmm. two and a half is pretty young to be communicating really any information. Mm -hmm. It's so, true. So yeah, I, it's just like, it's, it would be hard to, it would be hard to decipher anything mm -hmm. that any information that she was willing to give. Yeah. So uh, the idea that a stranger was poking her with a pink rope, that just doesn't seem like, you know, if your kid says that and it's happening at daycare, you know, that's, that's not something that should be described as day as happening in daycare, the, the daycare. No. And, and now the story, as you can imagine, uh, the daycare becomes kind of ground zero for a lot of it as a result of, the two and a half year old saying this to her to her mom so we should talk a little bit about the actual daycare and the people associated with the in-home daycare the sterling family tell us a bit about them so the sterling family was like a well-known family in martinsville how can you not be with a population of three thousand people and probably one of the only daycares yeah, it but, seems like it may have been, if not one of the only, maybe one of the, maybe the most established because the mother, Linda Sterling and the family, she was known around town for providing daycare and babysitting services to, you know, a who's who of Martinsville's elite. Right. So there were the parents, Linda and Ron Sterling, um, and they had their unlicensed daycare through just their home. Mm -hmm. uh, Ron Sterling worked at a correctional facility nearby. Mm -hmm. And was also friends, very friendly with a lot of the Martinsville police officers. I'm not sure if he was also friends with like Saskatoon police officers, mm -hmm. but it was said he was, he had close connections to yeah. law enforcement. But I, I would think being a correctional officer, there, there's, you would How do you probably, not? you could probably be, I think you would just fit in with police. Yeah. You're kind of from the same place, sort of. Damn near. Yeah. Like it's, it's about one step below a police officer mm -hmm. and yeah and and not only that ron was also well connected just within he was very involved in the community he i think he coached a baseball team and he was just kind of one of those guys that was like everyone knew him and he was involved in like a little bit of everything so a well-connected family in up until now a respected established kind of daycare babysitting i'm calling it a daycare but it's more like I guess when you say an unregulated daycare, that usually means like a lower number of children. Like it's like, you know, eight kids or something like that. Where more yeah. than that, you'd need to be regulated. And yeah, so they, they did this out of their home, but it was more than just the two of them there. So I interrupted you. Go on. Um, and then there, I believe it because they had four children, but their youngest um, was 23 years old at the time. And he still lived at home. His name was Travis Sterling. And they also had a teenage girl um, I believe she moved in when she was like 13. Mm -hmm. I, I believe her parents and the Sterlings knew each other, but she just boarded there. She lived there. Yeah. It's um, a unique kind of situation. But yeah, there's the two parents, 
their their child Travis and a underage uh, still as far as I can tell unnamed I haven't seen their name anywhere but that's because they were underage when these alleged crimes or allegations will be made uh, yeah. but that underage child living in the home does get kind of mixed up in this whole thing as we go so Anyway, as we, we talked about originally with with the mother seeing the odd rash or marks on her two and a half year old's bottom, hearing the daughter say someone at daycare uh, poked me with a pink rope, uh, that story comes out over the weekend. First thing Monday morning, um, the parents of that daughter are going to the Martinsville Police Department to let them know what's going on. and. At this point, they believe it to be a sexual assault, and they already have um, come to their belief that the Sterling's uh, live-in son, Travis, is likely the person responsible. That may be because the daughter described it as a stranger. The daughter would have been able to describe the parents, the Sterling's. So Travis, their son, would have been a stranger. So I, maybe that's why they felt you know, he was the person responsible. But needless to say, come Monday morning, they show up at the Martinsville police station um, to make the report of a sexual assault against their daughter. And when we hear of Martinsville, we hear a town of two to 3000 people. Is it not a surprise? Is it a surprise to you? Because it is to me that they have not only their own police station, but they have their own police force. Right? Usually RCMP cover like rural <laughs> areas, for lack of a better word. But yeah, the fact that they had even a small force of their own was very odd. And it yeah. would have been very expensive. Yeah, but I think uh, odd and probably inefficient. But as we will hear, certainly ineffective. Because I don't know if I've heard of a more messed up um, police force than what was going on at the time in Martinsville. So the, the police force that the family shows up to report this to is... Um, it is a mess to put it lightly there the police force is of not has nine people on the force so it's a, a small police force the training is uh very subpar bare minimum um, kind of training. almost non-existent almost like, you want to be a cop you're in mm -hmm. <laughs> so that they've gained a reputation for having um poor investigations shoddy police work it was so bad that at the time of this case of the nine staffers that the police force had, one was off work for injury, like got hurt. Uh, the chief of the police was actually suspended at the time due to poor police work, as was one of the officers. So they were down to six police officers at the time, but there was a young officer who temporarily took a job with the Martinsville police force to fill in as these suspensions and whatnot played out. And it was that officer, um, her name is Claudia Bryden. She was the one that was assigned to investigate the report of the abused child at the daycare. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Claudia Bryden? Because I think she comes from your neck of the woods, or at least had some background in your neck of the woods as far as policing. Um, well, kind of. She was. She did her police training at the Regina Depot, which uh, all RCMP does. We're the only school, so every every single RCMP officer across the country has come through Regina, which mm -hmm. I've always found is odd. Why wouldn't you have another school? But whatever. So she did her schooling in uh, Regina, like all RCMP officers do. And then she was stationed uh, in Manitoba 
Working for the RCMP in Manitoba. Working for the RCMP, yeah. And then I believe she got married to another cop. I'm not sure if he was an RCMP or city police or whatever, but they ended up moving to Saskatoon. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm not sure if he was city police or RCMP there, but they ended up in Saskatoon. And that's where she was offered the... The, and it was supposed to be very casual, like yeah, I think like weeks. A, yeah, a, a, te- a temporary assignment temporary, of like six to yeah. eight weeks. And my, when Miss um, Bryden uh, arrived in Saskatoon with with her, for her husband to work there and whatnot, when they moved there from Manitoba, she was planning to. She left the RCMP. She was planning to stay off work and raise her children, but due to the That's situation right. in Martinsville, she was asked to come back in temporarily to kind of pick up some slack as the Martinsville police force got its stuff together so she agreed to do it uh had she had known that this six or eight week assignment would lead to her being talked about among satanic panic circles for i'm thinking probably forever she maybe wouldn't have taken that job but oh she could have never imagined her six to eight week stay would turn into this and she it, was really young she was oh, like 32. when you look at video and pictures like contemporary video and news footage from when this happened in the 90s she just looks like a kid you see her walking with like a blazer on walking to the police station with the news trying to talk to her yeah she just looks like a child doing this but little would she know that she's about to take the lead on an investigation that'll involve arrests of police police chiefs community members allegations of satanic cults to uh, planning to raid this town like she is going to get drawn into some of the most insane x-file sounding stuff imaginable but and keep in mind even even like claudia bryden she you know went in with the best intentions too Mm -hmm. none of these police officers were adequately trained for what was to come Mm-hmm. The, to investigate allegations of sexual abuse against a two and a half year old would require like very um, specific specialized training that I think even it, I think even the best of the best in the early 90s probably wasn't no. as capable as like what we know now and what police would go through today in 2020 as far as handling those kinds of situations because yeah, it's absolutely. uh it, and that becomes a big part of the story um because the investigation certainly involves police officers sitting down and trying to get stories out of children let's let's move on to discussing the investigation into the original report of a sexual assault against uh, against the two and a half year old child at the daycare. So again, the, the parents firmly believed that there was sexual, a sexual assault had happened to the to their child. They did take the two and a half year old to a doctor who examined her and said, there's no evidence or no signs of sexual trauma or, or, or anything having happened to her. So I, I, you know, we can't say anything happened, but that wasn't enough to dissuade um, their belief that Travis likely was the person responsible. But I just I just wanted to mention that because it's like from how much evidence that anything happened throughout this entire story becomes important. Um, but from well, the- this is, this is the part that kind of confused me because mm-hmm. uh, I told you, I, I read the book about the trials that went on with this mm-hmm. and two, two young boys uh, testified Mm-hmm. And during the 
testimonies or whatever um it was it was describing how you know they were also looked at by medical examiners and there were physical signs of of abuse and trauma but this book also said that it's impossible to for sure pinpoint sexual abuse without the presence of semen hmm. and i thought that was really odd because half of the people accused are women good point so yeah, what were I'm, they looking just, for right and after a certain amount of time it's it's not it's not like that sticks around Mm -hmm. there's other obviously other physical signs that indicate sexual abuse but i just thought it was very strange that that would be the only surefire like Mm -hmm. yes this happened but another thing is as the story goes on and the allegations come out it's not only sexual in nature there's also just allegations of just torture and terrorizing of children so i I could see you know if you took a look at the legs on my five-year-old right now if he had said somebody has been beating me in the legs with a stick and showed you his legs, you'd be like, yeah, it looks about right. Like his <laughs> legs are so beat up. I wonder if it could even have been something like that. But let's um, let's get into the investigation and how these these stories begin to come out. Why don't you maybe you pick it up with Claudia Bryden first starting on the trail of the Sterlings looking into their background because something comes up there that's interesting. Well, yeah, she started investigating and it was uh someone I'm, I'm sure someone at the police station had told her that years ago in 1988 travis sterling the 23 year old son uh had already been accused of sexually assaulting a nine-year-old girl within the daycare mm-hmm. and after searching and it's it's a she says it's a miracle i even found anything shoved in the back of an old filing cabinet she found a one-page report of the allegation against Travis Sterling handwritten with like three little handwritten, not even notes. They were like scraps of paper, paper clipped to the, to the original or to the page of loose leaf. That was mm-hmm. this report. Um, So yeah. So she, three years prior in 1988, another young girl said that Travis Sterling sexually assaulted her. Mm-hmm. However, it was reported and nothing. And that, that was it. There was like, <laughs> that was it. No police work done, no investigation. It was like it was reported, written down, and the piece of paper was jammed to in the back of a filing cabinet, only to be found several years later when he's accused of something again. But oddly enough, that prior allegation is enough to kind of kickstart this investigation because they it seems like a day or two later based on that prior allegation years years ago three years back that hadn't been investigated there's enough there for them to arrest him so like i'm thinking maybe they just want to get him in the station or something but they do go and arrest the young man for the allegation several years prior while they're still investigating this this new case at the daycare, right which is which i don't i don't know how legal that was or anything like that but an accusation f- from three years prior that was totally swept under the rug. That would be enough for me to convince me. Hmm. Like it's, it's the same person. Uh, the accusation is coming from a child from the same daycare. Oh, it in would be enough. Home. You mean it would be enough to convince you that he did something? 
right that yeah. at the mm. very least like that's a lot of that's quite a bit of smoke i think very few people are accused of molesting children twice in a three-year period right exactly uh, in, yeah um well he he's arrested based on this prior allegation um but while he's in custody travis is in custody the investigation into the daycare really begins to kick off and the way it's done is since these are allegations of crimes against the children at the daycare what claudia bryden decides to do is reach out to the families of children who are in to the families who have children at that daycare to begin talking trying to talk to the children to see if you know if if anyone has had an experience to share similar to um what uh, the the original child had had described so she begins to track down and interview all these other children and for one as the interviews are happening she, she's not getting any information no one is really telling her anything uh anything illegal or suspicious that happened like it's you know she's not getting any information but at the same time she's spreading the message inadvertently to all these families that we're investigating something serious happening at your daycare and i'll tell you like as someone who used a daycare if i get a call from the police wanting to talk to my kid about something that happened at the daycare i would like i would i wouldn't sleep until it was settled like i would be flipping out so yeah this isn't one family flipping out it's all the families in this small town who use this daycare so as the rumor mill in this small town swirls you know people start talking and i think it, i can understand how maybe people's imaginations start to get the better of them and maybe that's why as the questioning goes on the stories begin to change from nothing happened i you know my kid has nothing to say to well there was something you know this like stories begin to come out and claudia bryden and the other investigators seem very willing to um entertain any allegation of from any child regardless of age or regardless of merit or evidence behind the allegation um things start to things go from nothing happened to something horrible was happening well after and it was like months after the original investigation oh, yeah. started it was taking her months to find and interview all these families this has been I going guess it on takes time but that just gives more time for rumors to start that's true but yeah so after these allegations started months later there there were allegations of children being taken out to it was like a, a blue it was a blue building basically on an acreage where they were put in cages and in freezers mm. and like tortured sexually assaulted um and then and then this is when the accusations on poli other police officers come in. Uh I don't know what came first whether whether the children said yeah like s someone in uniform also did this or if they were shown photos and said like identify people. Mm. But all of a sudden police officers from three different forces are being accused of mm -hmm. participating in these rituals and events yeah it, it happens really fast so the the initial allegations that start to come out are, are a bit softer at first it's um i was uh 
touched like and i'm speaking on behalf of the children's allegations like i was touched i was touched while they had a gun pointed at me uh they made me take my clothes off and take pictures like these are kind of the early allegations came but that's when you know it's almost as soon as that started this rumor started going around that there was that the children were being taken to another house outside of the city uh, or outside of the city outside of the small town a blue house like you described and so they the police began investigating like what is the story of this blue house and it's alleged that they were specifically asking the children were you at it like with leading questions like did they take you somewhere did they take you to a blue house were you at the blue house you know and kind of coaxing to get the answers but they started getting children to say like yeah like we were removed from the daycare taken to a separate house and that's where the really bad stuff happened and just as you described like we were in cages we were in a freezer i was you know beaten or tortured and this is young children giving this information to the police officer but when it becomes that police begin to suspect each other is one of the children like when they were asking who are these people that were doing this to you uh one of the children said um they were all wearing uniforms just like you just like you are and that led them to be like oh my gosh like this was cops (laughs) this could have been cops doing that which then led to showing them uh photos of all the martinsville police like you recognize any of these people and then they were moving on to other police forces. And, you know, the, there's a lot to say about the way these children were questioned within how, how the questions were leading questions that were leading to a, a, an answer that led to, you know, allegations against police. Um, but regardless, it's very quickly turned into the people at the daycare are responsible and the police are in on it. So it's uh, it picks up quick. But we'll get into now the search for the blue building and what that leads to. Because, of course, police are looking for solid proof that something had happened. When police, when the children are saying it happened at a blue building, they begin searching for a blue building in Martinsville. Initially, they don't find one, but they do find one just outside of the city. When the police look in the window of this building, they see a freezer a cage for like an animal there's like an axe leaned up against the wall so it looks like a horror show that they actually find but and i'm pretty sure it was like the mayor that eventually found it he like took his own little like jet or his own little like plane and started looking for it and found it it was like something bizarre like that yeah like flying over martinsville looking for it and and, and, and he finds this, but the police investigate the building. They do a search. They find no evidence that any children had been there. There's no sign of, you know, these like bizarre, like sexual abuse parties with police or anything. Like there's no evidence of any of oh, that. But they find nothing. Like at all. At all. No blood, hair, semen, nothing. And see, this this blue building is where I'm because right away i believe the children and i believe something happened and i also believe something happened at this building but like it's it's wishy-washy because even if you clean a crime scene you can't clean it like that like even Mm. even the most trained police officer with crime scenes you can't scrub a place free of any evidence whatsoever it would be super hard um however i'm pretty sure they did have notice before the actual place was 
was looked at. But also, I in this book that I read, the owner of the building was uh, questioned and mm-hmm. appeared in court. And he said, like, yeah, like, whatever, I own the place. Uh, but he was always away. And I know this doesn't mean anything, but there were a bunch of other witnesses that were interviewed and they lived on farms around the the building in question. And they did testify that they would constantly see police officers and police vehicles. Really? I didn't know that. On Yes, on the road. I think it was called like Powerline Road or something like that. But it's like it's a rural area. It's a it's a gravel road. And they just they said, yeah, like and more than one witness said, yeah, like I would always see these police cars and vans near this building and around this building. And for like for what? Why Mm. would they? Yeah, interesting. I didn't I had not heard those reports. As far as I had heard, there was nothing to connect anyone to this blue building, with the exception of the fact that it was a blue building and also uh one of the the there were two little boys interviewed and who testified at one of the trials and they said that they had been taken there one of them identified i believe a waterbed that there was Mm -hmm. no photos of but they identified a waterbed that was there and another one identified that the the freezer was blue on the inside and it was but the photos that the, these children were shown, I believe the freezer was just closed. Okay. So but, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've seen enough of the footage of the interrogations or moments of the interrogations that are, are just ripe with leading questions. Oh, okay. And like the, the children will eventually land on the right answer and then be congratulated by the police. Like, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Like, there's a lot of that okay. happening. Eventually, yeah. like those interrogations will be um not valid or not worth anything when push eventually comes That's to true. shove it's so, like it's like a coarse confession they just probably wanted to get the hell out of there well it, it, there it was had, something had, compelling it was probably them. so long yeah yeah oh for the child yeah like yeah and not only that is it's like it's a little kid just wants to make the adult happy and if you answer a and they're like are you sure a you you are you positive a you'll be like uh now b great work jimmy thank you like this is you're doing an awesome job all right so it's b like and i think (laughs) that's a lot of like what was you know what's happening and it would be so easy like i have kids it's so easy to manipulate them if you want to okay well and do you think (laughs) your opinion do you think this was done maliciously by the investigators or were they honestly trying their best to i don't know get get the truth or it's hard to say because at this point they're beginning to point fingers at each other and some cops are being asked very difficult questions by their peers so i can't imagine what would motivate police officers to you know point the finger at each other and community members uh pointing finger at that pointing fingers at their community members i think it's this is like what's about to happen is like a case of mass hysteria if you ask me um and and it's only going to pick up just after the part of the story we're at like we so far what we've talked about is kind of like before it goes crazy we're just starting yeah (laughs) it's about to go crazy so 
when the chi- again we, they found the blue building they found no evidence of the kids having been there they show the children uh in the investigation they show photos of police officers the children identified several police officers which led to them being suspects as the investigation's all happening and here's where it starts getting weird the children of course are receiving counseling and one of the first allegations of this having any kind of connection to satanic activity seems to come from something one of the children say in counseling the counselor calls uh, the police officer the the lead investigator and asks her if she's ever heard of satanic ritual abuse if they know any if it's come up in any of the other cases or investigations or questioning and the police officer like i have no idea what you're talking about like satanic ritual abuse was kind of a newer term and a new concept at the time so that word gets injected or that concept gets injected at that point but then again, at the same time, I mentioned that the police chief in Martinsville had been suspended right around the time these allegations surfaced. Just as satanic ritual abuse becomes mentioned in the investigation by this counselor, a new police chief is hired. His name is Mike Johnston, and he's credited as being kind of the driving force behind the investigation moving from you know, a pedophile ring to a satanic pedophile ring. He seems very interested in there being a satanic connection and pushing the investigation in that point and that direction so it's from like this point on that the belief of the investigators and the community because it spreads fast is a belief that it's a satanic cult abusing children through a daycare in martinsville and that police officers are involved that's where the investigation begins to turn and when i say it's a belief and you know people are truly believe that this is happening it's um i can't understate that enough because almost immediately the police force begins to believe that not only are satanists within the community preying on their children but there is about to be a massive invasion of martinsville um that's I, I guess the next little moment in this story and i think this one's important to share because it really gives a sense of how seriously the law enforcement was taking the satanic element do you want to tell us about the tip that came from a local pastor that led to one of the craziest moments in this story well i just i like i don't mean to laugh but how can it, you not it's it wouldn't be a hard sell back then it, like everyone was still super religious mostly catholic i'm going to assume well, in, it's only the 90s if you called, neck of the woods if you called me and said a satanic cult is about to invade your town get your guns together and get ready for war i would be calling the police to report you as being in a mental health crisis or something like, right there's no exactly. way i would believe it but people ate it up and were like oh yeah anyway so a tip comes in that a satanic group called the Brotherhood of the Ram. Mm-hmm. And Ram, I guess it means like devil. Yeah. I but, guess. Um, they had they had plans to storm Martinsville and I don't know, eat all their children or something. Kill people, steal children, 
wreak havoc, flatten the town, basically. And it was that tip. It came from a local pastor. It was taken so seriously by the new chief of police, Mike Johnston, that an emergency bulletin was kind of sent to all the police officers saying, like, whatever guns you have, like, get them in your cars and prepare for like brace for chaos. I like think. they were told to bring their weapons supplied from the police force and the weapons they have at home. Yeah. Like if you have a hunting Which rifle, is bizarre. bring that. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, they were, they were, I'll read you a bit of it. I have some of, it was a memo sent, sent within the police force, the Martinsville police force on April 16th, 1992. I don't have the full thing, but some of the verbiage of it is the indications are that tonight will be a very important night with the occult. The group in town is known as the Brotherhood of the Ram, with the Ram being a reference to Satan. The group can and does human uh, offer human sacrifices. We expect churches will be targeted and buildings will be burned and children likely stolen. So it's, you know, that's not the whole, whole report, but they were ready for, you know, Martinsville under siege by a satanic cult and they were armed to the teeth. Uh, police officers were interviewed recently on CBC about this event and they described it as being the most horrifying night of their lives. Like they were waiting at any minute to see, I guess like cloaked figures on horses with torches, you know, just invading the city. Uh, they're waiting in their, in their cruisers, you know, on main roads waiting for it to happen. And like even the police officers are like legitimately scared, like preparing yeah. their families for their for them not to return and stuff. Like fighting, ready to fight for their life. A local cop and his partner are on high alert. They've been warned terrible things could happen that night, possibly even human sacrifice. A gang with ties to the occult is supposed to be heading for Martinsville. Constable Mike Swan is packing every gun he can find on orders from the chief. And he authorized us to go ahead and bring in our own guns and just be as heavily armed as possible. And at the time, I've got to admit that I had never been more scared in my life. I told a friend of mine, if something did happen to me, that he would make sure that Barb and the kids were looked after. In the end, no one dies. The satanic gang never shows up. And in the light of day, the whole threat would seem bizarre. But by this time, Martinsville was already six months into a nightmare where nothing is too strange. Nobody shows up. I don't understand how you can be so gullible. You could maybe convince me that this is going to happen because I'm just like, I'm just some nut. But like police officers, you'd think they should be like grounded. They should be harder to convince that a satanic cult is going to invade your town of two to 3,000 people. And let's say, let's say the satanic cult did show up. Do, do you really believe they're like supernatural? They're just people. Just yeah. relax, arrest them. <laughs> arrest like, them yeah. Yell at them. <laughs> like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. No, they were, they took it seriously. Uh, despite the Brotherhood of the Ram not showing up in this tip being um, maybe not all it was cracked up to be, I think it does show that the police were on board with this satanic activity. 
The mayor's already involved, flying around looking for the place. The police, the chief of police believes satanic elements are at play. Um, the local uh, clergy or the local church is also on board on this. The community is talking about Satanists. This is full-on satanic panic. Despite nobody showing up, you would think that maybe that would be enough to have everybody question their actions. It isn't. Shortly after the failed invasion or the imagined invasion two months later it's june of 92 uh, that's when the arrests begin to happen and this goes from satanic panic in the community to satanic panic in a courtroom june of 1992 is when the arrests first are made it's nine arrests made within a short i think it's over the period of a day and a half these nine arrests are made the people arrested of course are the Sterlings, so the parents, Ron and Linda, their son, Travis Sterling, who is the first person the finger was pointed at, and then that underage child that was in their care, uh, as well as five police officers, including two former police chiefs. So this isn't like, you know, low level police, this is important people. And between the, between the nine people arrested, collectively they were facing over 170 charges related to uh, kidnapping and abduction, sexual assault, abuse, uh, you know, it runs the gamut of the worst crimes you could be accused of committing on a child. It's not good. Before we get on in the conversation, though, I'm going to play you a short news clip. I found the news clip of when shortly after the arrests were made, the mayor of Martinsville and the chief of police held a sort of press conference in this small building that was, I guess, their town hall, where they address the community and explain, you know, what is going on. CBC was there to film it, and it's pretty eye-opening. Listen to this. They were horrified by what they'd heard, reeling from the scale of the charges of abuse. But today, the people of Martinsville came looking for answers. It hurts, like I'm a mom, and it really, your mind goes wild, you think of the worst things, but answers are being done. <clears throat> it's getting better answers from their police chief and their mayor. It's hard to believe uh, this morning uh, that there will be a better day, but I assure you there will be a better day. The good news is that we've caught something, we found it, and we're going to deal with it. But the gloom won't lift easily. The police say over a period of three years, the children at this daycare center, some of the youngest children in town, were abused by some of the most trusted people in this town. Seven police officers and the family who ran the center. One charge alleges that a little boy was drugged, suffocated with a pillowcase, then beaten with an ax handle. There were other charges of sexual assault. Six of those charged were hustled out of a police van and into court this morning. Their bail hearing is scheduled for tomorrow. The trials could take months, and the townspeople will be watching closely. It's going to be a long, drawn-out affair. Uh, there's probably going to be uh, some very bad feelings here over the next little while uh, amongst people. It's going to take time. Time to trust the police again. You have to gain the confidence of the people, so they have to see results. If they don't see results, they won't have confidence. Would that be difficult? I would think it would be difficult, yes. 
As the people of Martinsville struggle to explain what they're hearing, some have suggested the influence of satanic cults. There have been relentless rumors of strange activities and suspicious fires. If everything finally calms down, I think we can get back to business and have ourselves a nice little town here. But as they left the meeting, townspeople agreed they won't have their nice little town until they have more answers and action. It seems too weird to be true. Like that news clip, I don't know how anyone had missed that. I asked my dad about this. He, he had never heard of this story. He would have been, you know, following the news. And my dad's someone who was kind of like interested in crime stories. He had never heard okay. of this. But that, I guess that news clip just gives you a sense of, even without the satanic stuff at the end, still the idea that a daycare is like brutalizing and molesting these kids and a bunch of police officers are involved. Like that's a, that's a huge, huge a, allegation. And it, like you would assume it would be national news, especially with cops involved. Mm -hmm. But uh, across yeah. multiple police forces, too, because that's that's yeah. the thing. It's not like Mar I think a couple of them were Martinsville police officers that were arrested. But there's like one of the guys is like just this random cop from Sa from Saskatoon who has no connection to Martinsville yeah. that ends up getting arrested. We'll, we'll get into that. And then like we... one from RCMP or whatever. Yeah, mm -hmm. just unrelated. It's just literally, it seemed like some of the people that were arrested, the only evidence was that their picture was on a piece of paper of a bunch of cops and a kid was like, yeah, I, I recognize him. You and, know, and that's like, what we're, we're talking about cops in the nineties. They all looked the same. Yeah, they all got they all the, mustache, the same right? mustache. <laughs> <laughs> And probably, yeah, and they're probably, um, I wonder if the photos of them in uniform. Here's another thing. If if the police were doing this, why would they wear their uniforms to commit the crimes? Did any, I wonder if anyone said, like, could it See, be? That? But, oh, and here this we is go. where, I know. But, like, the way I think of it is, if, if the cops are involved, they're all going to cover for each other. And especially with Ron Sterling's connection with the police. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a little dicey. I, and I don't put anything past a cop. What you just said is one of the um, main kind of defenses. And I've actually not defense. One of the main prosecutory allegations is the fact that there's no evidence for a lot of these cases is proof that whoever was responsible would have had access to the evidence like a cop. That's right. Yeah. So let's <clears throat> let's go through the trials. The I'll start with the first one. The first trial is for the young offender. That is the young woman who was 16 at the time, I believe, when 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 the crimes were alleged to have committed that uh, this woman lived with the Sterling family. She was charged with sexual assault, unlawful confinement and threatening to use a gun while committing a sexual assault. The only direct evidence against her presented at the trial was testimony of two young boys, and probably the two you're mentioning, a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old uh, pointed the finger at her and said she she was involved. She ended up in her, her trial being convicted, found guilty, convicted of seven out of 10 ch uh, charges against her and received a sentence of two years in prison. I, I don't know. I that's That's the trial I read in full and... The boys, their stories were pretty legit. Like, really, yeah, it was it was pretty graphic. Their 
their okay. test their testimony. I don't know as much it about was, it was I don't, sad. But. Yeah, I don't know as much about the allegations against her because some with her being uh, underage, so much of it was kind of like hidden away, even her name. Yeah. But in reading the book, as you're reading the story of the prosecution against her and the case against her, did you feel like she could have been involved? Oh yeah. Really? It just yeah, with the way that and mind you. It's and it's it was actually very interesting because they had a bunch of experts testify as well. Of course. Um but the... like children can be led, but they can't they couldn't keep up with a lie. Mm -hmm. Like they their stories, the the two boys that told their stories, not much changed. Mm -hmm. Like it was pretty consistent. Um, they both had very similar stories when it came to her and it was, I just, I don't understand where, even if these boys were led, um, through in, in the investigations or interrogations, even if they were led with questions, they, they couldn't make up and keep their story straight if it, if it wasn't true. Hmm. It was convincing to me, at least i Mind you, I have no credentials. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, even the witnesses, uh, the, like the expert witnesses said like, yeah, like children can be led and manipulated, but <clears throat> they can't they can't keep up a lie like mm -hmm. this, especially mm -hmm. at such a young age. Mm -hmm. So yeah, one, one um, thing I should we should have mentioned I, I didn't get into is this uh, there was an RCMP task force who was tasked with uh, kind of reinvestigating the cases and like just this is just before it was all going to court they basically had an, a team of rcmp officers look at all the evidence uh, related to the nine arrests the task force recommended dropping the charges against everybody and said that the the interrogations and the investigation was so flawed that you know it's never you know it's not going to stand up in court the prosecution's office didn't take their advice and went ahead anyway. So as you as you said, there there are some people who would believe that the children's story, um, that it would be hard for the children to make up and stick with a made up story. The RCMP task force that investigated the investigation thought that for whatever reason, it was flawed enough that it shouldn't actually get into a courtroom. It did. This young adult was not young adult, this underage person was convicted and this is the first conviction in the story but we're, we'll come back to her because her time in court isn't done and her days in prison are a lot shorter than two years so oh, yeah and i i also think it's worth mentioning that this girl um she was psychologically evaluated she at the time of the trial she was 21 and both like mentally and physically she did she didn't look like she was a 21 year old adult and she definitely didn't have the, the the cognitive therapy of a young adult. Interesting. And during the trial, it was also brought up that she had been sexually abused as a child. Oh, interesting. I would love to know more about her. I, I get why they protected her identity and her background and stuff, but even just her living there and stuff. Like, I'd just like to know. Right. Right. We'll get too. into our opinions and our our thoughts as as we get to the end. Let's get to the trials, and then we'll come back to this. Okay. The the second trial 
is against a police officer from Saskatoon. Uh, his name is John Popowich, and he, sp he spoke publicly quite a bit in CBC's coverage of this story. He was sexually accused, he was accused of sexually assaulting two boys, locking them in freezers, drawing their blood for whatever reason, I guess, Satan stuff and raping them. Um, his defense quite simply is that so the the evidence against him was the boy's statements and them picking him up from uh you know pointing out his picture on a, a board or whatever his defense is like i didn't do it it didn't happen in fact i've i think i've only ever even been to martinsville once i think i stopped for gas there so his defense is like nothing to do with with this case or that community I was there once in my life um the uh the prosecutors and this uh, I mentioned this earlier, the prosecutors um, to overcome the lack of physical evidence, their argument is that the lack of physical evidence is proof that police officers were involved. The kids said it. So it happened. Where's the proof? Someone got rid of it. And the only person in a position to get rid of it is a police officer like John Popovich. Oh. Am I a good prosecutor? Yeah. Yeah, you are. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, not good enough because, um, well, actually, it wasn't really the 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 prosecutors, the prosecutors that uh, kind of fumbled this case or prevented the uh, a conviction being levied against Popovich. At one point during the trial, the 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 accusers, the children, were asked to pick out Popovich from the crowd. I think they did a live lineup. They had like a group of people stand up and uh, they couldn't pick them out. Like, I don't know which one it is. And we kind of already covered this, but like, I'm sure all cops looked the same back then, <laughs> but it's also like men, it's so easy for them to change how they look. All they have to do is shave and they look like a completely different person. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, no, I don't know. I, we won't get into opinions yet, but yeah, I don't but know. This this he, this specifically was dicey. <laughs> yeah, well, the um, pop of which he was uh, charges against him were dropped, and in fact, in the judge's decision, it was uh, a shade away from being like an apology for him having been put through this. They described the the judge described it as like an unfortunate case of um misidentification yeah mistaken identity yeah it's awful uh could you imagine as a cop like being accused of, whether you're a cop or anyone being accused of murder is so much better than being accused of like abusing children in an organized like cult like that's the worst allegation for that to be levied against a cop would absolutely destroy your career and that's something in our talk tonight we haven't really gotten into that yet is like the people who were being accused like this was destroying their lives of course well and it's it's the fact that even if it you know and in the event the judge was like yeah sorry like we know like charges are stayed we know you you weren't involved that doesn't convince everyone no and it, there are some people that will never be convinced. Now, there was a movement at this time. People were putting little notes in their windows that said, we believe the children. So even though the charges were being dropped or whatnot from some people, uh, there was still a community movement to like, no, we know y'all did it. Yeah, exactly. Even to this day, 30 years later, 
this uh john popwich like there are people who still believe he's a satanic pedophile yeah yikes um next trial up the third and final trial will be against the sterling family the uh, three of them mother father son were are being tried together they're accused of assaulting up to 15 children who were in their care they were charged with using their home as a sort of hunting ground for the victims the trial was a big deal it ended up at least at the time it's i'm sure it's changed by now but at the time this was the longest trial in saskatchewan's history lasted for more than five months do you want to give the the result the result was ron and linda sterling were found not guilty on all charges mm-hmm. and then travis sterling ended up being found guilty on two counts of sexual assault. oh sorry six counts mm-hmm. convicted oh on eight charges oh i thought it was two yeah he he, he ended up uh, getting he was convicted of eight eight charges six of them related to sexual assault i'm not sure exactly the yes. list of charges against him. i never thought to look it up but i guess whether but- it's one or a bunch it's like a, you know if you're found guilty of anything involved in this that sucks well if you didn't just, do it it's very odd the way first how they were all tried together mm-hmm. i think that's very weird but mm-hmm. how do you how do you try people together and find only one guilty yeah because I mean, you you would think i don't tr- know anything about the process but no but you think you'd try them together if they were accused of doing something together and if they Correct. did something together they either did it or didn't do it not one did it you know it, it does seem yeah. odd um but the, I wonder if it would be just like too expensive to try them all separately or it would take too long or the, the, like I don't know but there was also stuff going on or decisions were being made um to avoid traumatizing the children as well right so it could that have been something big, to do with yeah. that I, yeah. it was you're right yeah, and of course, like society's so much better at that sort of like trauma-informed approaches to things. We're much better at it now than we would have been in ninety in the early nineties, but that could have been a part of it. But Lyndon Ron cleared Travis, found guilty, gets sentenced to prison. But after that case, perhaps because like that case, we just glossed over what happened in the courtroom, but it didn't go well. The amount of charges were slowly being dropped as the case was happening because people were changing their stories. Evidence was being shot down. It was it was just looking, the case against them just wasn't looking strong. Perhaps as a result of that, after that trial, all remaining charges against the other people charged, the other police officers were all dropped, as well as the underage person who was convicted, their, their charges were dropped on appeal. They appealed and got off so in the end after all of this the only person convicted of anything is travis sterling who is also the guy that the finger was pointed at from the very beginning so what started off as that person abused my child at daycare went from like went from that to there's a satanic cult operating and the police are involved and then in the end it's like no the only thing we could prove is that that one person molested her child at the daycare. Yeah, well, and I think lawyers lost hope quickly Mm -hmm. because during the Sterling's trial, the 15 children um, that they were accused of assaulting, I believe all 15 were set to testify. And by the end of it, 11 of those kids, they said, no, 
we're we're not that we don't need like they I don't want to say they they dropped them from the case but I think only four kids ended up testifying against them and it was just because as time went on I think I think the lawyers realized like there's we we don't have anything here it's something that the fact that these got into a courtroom despite an RCMP task force saying this this case holds no water we we don't have enough it's still going ahead all this money spent the longest court case in Saskatchewan history only to end with the one conviction I I want to like it's hard to like what kind of gets lost in this is why he was actually convicted like do you it gets like it's hard for me because it gets so crazy that I'm like none of this stuff is true but could it be that one that he did do it this one person did it in the in the investigation into his case for whatever reason I guess mass hysteria being the reason led to such an insane spectacle playing out in rural Saskatchewan that they had to they were like we have to charge someone but then you know if we go back to the beginning with the allegation from 1988 that went nowhere Mm -hmm. why why would that little girl lie and you know nothing happened for the longest time um i don't know i i think abuse happened under the roof of the sterlings but it got embellished Mm -hmm. um maybe ron and linda had nothing did not abuse children themselves i have a feeling though that they knew about the abuse their son was perpetrating and tried to cover it up Hmm, i wonder i that's just my opinion obviously yeah yeah but but it's i think it's it's like i can understand that opinion but I just think given how nuts the whole story gets with all the satanic sex stuff. Oh, yeah. It, it's easy to discount every bit of it. But at the heart of it, it starts with a nurse talking to her two and a half year old daughter, believed that she was abused. It turned out that the person that she thought did it was also accused of abusing someone else like two or three years earlier. He had access to the children. What a coincidence. Home. Yeah. Uh, I, I, again, just think of it this way as your kid tells you something like this you believe it's you know the the son of the people who run the daycare your kid goes to and you find out that two years earlier someone else said he was abusing their kids that for me that's like guilty yeah exactly you would be like no trial needed Mm -hmm. i'm convinced so i I mean i was yeah i think the 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 tragedy in this and there's so many tragedies in this story like there's it's literally no one wins there is no winner how did a a tip from a pastor came in and all hell broke loose? No mm-hmm. pun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, wow. Like, <laughs> yeah, no hell broke loose, and they were expecting tons of hell, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then it's yeah, and then that that kind of discounted other stories, and and of course, m- most good parents they want to believe their child, and they mm-hmm. want they want justice for their child. And yeah, even if it means coercing a false, false information out of them. Yeah, but or, you, you trust yeah. the police though. If the police are investigating and talking to my kid. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this case in Martinsville is a great example or, or yeah, just a great example of why police work needs to be done properly with care 
using best practices. There needs to be checks and balances because a lot of this stinks of somebody had a crazy idea and everyone else was just going along with it. And despite, you know, any, if anyone like what was happening is if anyone talked against the investigation into the satanic sex scandal, then they were involved in it. You know, yeah, like if, if exactly one, one guy became one cop became a suspect because he asked another cop just casually, like, you know, I've heard about the Martinsville sex scandal. Like what's going on over there? And then a report was made, like he showed an interest in the case. And very shortly after he was like hooked up to like a lie detector and he was, yeah, you know, so it's when, when the ball gets rolling in that direction, it'd be very hard to stop it. You I, oh, just totally. get the hell out of town. Well, in this case is actually, it's very funny just the way I kind of had just the way I looked at it because it's, I was like on, I was on Claudia Bryden's side who is a cop. Mm-hmm. But like, and so it's so funny because I'm usually not on the cop side, but then there's also other police officers that are involved that I was like, oh, they did it. <laughs> so it's like, are you with the police or are you against them? <laughs> yeah. In, in Claudia Bryden's defense, she was the police officer who was new to the force temporarily was assigned this case. Um, very early on, she was asking like, should we go to the RCMP and like get support and get like specialized people to help with this? And there was a bit of, um, this is not unique to this case, but there was a bit of like the Martinsville police force is like, we don't need the RCMP. We can handle this. We don't need to call, you know, big brother and get him to come help us out. We got this. So she was also a woman. So she was a a young woman. She was former RCMP. So like, of course the ex RCMP officer needs to get the RCMP over here, but they, the Martinsville police force was not interested in getting any help from the RCMP. They thought they were able to handle the war against the Satanists in their small town. Well, in, even at the beginning, she didn't really get any help or guidance mm-hmm. from even her her coworkers. Like she was, she was pretty much on her own. It seems with it. very little little help from the Martinsville police. And man, it goes wrong. So, it, it, like we only scratched the surface here. There's way more to it. You oh, talked yeah. about a book. What was the book called that you read? Uh, it was called Truth or Justice, the Martinsville Trials. Okay. Um, and it focuses just on the one trial for the underage minor. And then oh, really? the uh, the Sterling's trial okay. was in kind of two parts. Yeah. That's kind of interesting because everything I watched and read, like it didn't spend too much time on the trial. So I'd be, re- I'd be interested to read that. What I well, went there was, through. There was like a, there was a, how did that work? There was a little like there was a publication ban until the trial was over Mm -hmm. so they couldn't talk about the trial while it was going on but then after they could and then and they were even with like the sterling's trial there was stipulations on um like the media could talk about the sterling's part but they they couldn't say anything that the children said and it was it was very odd yeah yeah the the stuff i went through uh as far as media is a Fifth Estate by CBC, they did a documentary called Hell to Pay, which is like an hour-long piece that was really good. It it included a lot of interviews with police officers involved in the investigation, including Popovich, who was the the cop that was um, that ended up being found or being cleared of charges when the when the children were unable to pick him out of a lineup. Uh, he was involved in it, but I, I thought that was really well done. There was uh, there's quite a few old news reports that I found on YouTube and through CBC's site that were 
interesting. CBC did a podcast called Satanic Panic, Uncover Satanic Panic, I think. Maybe yeah. six or seven parts. I thought it was good, but not as good as the Fifth Estate episode. The Fifth Estate episode, uh, it was one one part, and it just like it got down to... I don't want to like the facts. It was just like the 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 basic what happened. This is what yeah, happened. Just, it just this went with essentially a, yeah, as told yeah. by the people involved. <clears throat> exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I listened to the podcast as well, and it was like it was fine, but a lot of lot of fluff. Yeah, lot of, <laughs> I would say if someone wants filler. if someone wants to learn more about this, I'd say go on YouTube and watch the uh, Hell to Pay fifth estate episode yeah that'll that'll get you a lot more the the stuff that we didn't spend too much time on was the inner workings of the police pointing fingers at each other there's a lot to that there's a lot to be said about the families that were accused or being suspected having to live in that community while awaiting trial uh, the children of the people accused being at school and everyone knowing that they're or everyone believing that their parents are members of a satanic sex cult with children. Like there's yeah. this well, is actually a- the the ones accused, like the Sterlings, they were told to get the hell out. Like they they couldn't even be in Martinsville. You wouldn't need to tell me. Right. I would be, I'm already you know, out. Like I'm not a witch because this this does have so many mirrors to like uh, or some of this. This has so many similarities with kind of like a witch hunt. It was a witch oh, hunt. Oh, yeah. And there was nothing. Yeah. If the investigation, if you were unfortunate enough to have the investigation point at you for whatever reason, it seems like there's nothing you could say or do. If you didn't know anything, you were hiding it. If you asked a question, yeah. you know, you were snooping for information because you were involved. If there was no evidence to show you did it, it's probably because you destroyed it. You know, it's, yeah. it, it just like it's... once that train was rolling, if you got in its path, you're getting labeled a sexual predator child satanist totally and yeah it's just like it's it's so hard to because you you want to believe the children and you you don't want to think that you know anything like this could ever happen or anyone Mm. could ever embellish this or lead a child to to tell you something that didn't happen happened but 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 here we are here we are exactly well let's uh, wrap this one up Madeline, uh, there are so many dark stories that kind of gets not get swept under the rug, but just go unnoticed. This is one of them. Saskatchewan is a strange place. Oh, that is the understatement of the year. I want to thank you for joining Madeline and I for this episode. I wish I had something clever to say that sums up the issues at play in this story, but I can't help but feel that these sorts of mass hysteria events are almost human nature. I'm sure this didn't start with the Salem witch trials, and I can easily think of several modern conspiracy type theories that involve serious accusations, an absence of proof, and a paranoid delirium that includes equal parts ignorance and confidence. What a world. Now, with all that said, I'm going to wrap up this episode, but before I do, let me give some thanks. First, a big thanks to Madeleine for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. I'd like to thank LJ from the Dystopian Simulation Podcast, who provides the intro and outro voiceovers, and Monty Data, who provides the music. And then lastly, but most importantly, I have a massive thank you to each and every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. 
Now on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Camille, Michelle, and the Middle Miller, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but isn't currently subscribed to the premium feed, you can help us out here in a variety of ways. First of all, a premium feed subscription costs just a couple dollars a month, and that money funds the creation of the show. But perhaps more attractive than that, the premium feed gives you access to the episodes two days early, gives them to you ad-free, and gives you access to a full back catalog of nighttime episodes. If that sounds like something you're interested in, you can go premium right now at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And even if you don't want to go premium, you can still help this show grow by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting all your like-minded friends know about our discussions surrounding the Martinsville satanic sex scandal. We thank you for helping us grow the show. Now until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.